Today's episode of A New Beginning is brought to you by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Learn more at harvest.org. And while you're there, browse our library of free ebooks designed to help you grow in your faith. If you're doing God's work, you'll be roundly criticized. But if you focus on your critics, you will not be doing what God has called you to do. If your eyes are on the opposition, then they're not on the Lord. Our hearts are easily influenced. That's why it's so important to choose who we listen to. Pastor Greg Laurie says, choose well. Don't let the loudest voices be your critics. Let the loudest voice in your life be God speaking to you. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Again, you hear all the angels are singing. This is the day, the day when life begins. When you're listening to the radio, you hear one station at a time. There may be dozens and dozens up and down the dial, but your tuner helps you hear just one. Well, today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out there are voices of opposition calling to us as we walk with the Lord. We need an internal spiritual tuner that helps us hear just the voice of God. We'll look to the example of Nehemiah and his wall builders today and learning how we can ignore our detractors. heard about a monk that joined a monastery and he took a vow of silence. He was allowed two words every year. So the first year passed and he went into the abbot's office and was allowed two words. The abbot said, what would you like to say? And the monk turned to him and said, beds hard. Another year passes by. He said nothing to anyone. And then He's allowed his two words. He goes and appears before the abbot again. And the abbot says, all right, what are your two words? And the man says, food's cold. Another year passes by. He appears again before the abbot. And the abbot says, okay, you're allowed your two words. What are they? And the man says, I quit. (laughs) And the abbot said, well, it's no wonder. All you've done since you've gotten here is complain. (laughs) That is true of some people. All they want to do is complain. They want to be critical. I think some people think it's some kind of a spiritual gift to be critical of others. Hint, it isn't. You know, and it's always easy to critique what someone else is doing. But my question to a person like this would be, what are you doing for heaven's sake? I mean, instead of tearing someone else down, what are you doing? Well, we're in the book of Nehemiah. We're looking at this book of rebuilding a wall. Nehemiah was called by God to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And when you get down to it, everyone is either building the wall or in a way we're tearing down the wall. So I closed with a series of questions last time. Are you a participator or are you a spectator? Are you a servant or are you a slacker? Are you a worker or are you a shirker? (laughs) Let me put it another way. Are you a wall builder or are you a wall breaker? Are you a faith builder or are you a faith breaker? See, it 
really comes down to one of the two. Some are doing the work of God. Others are standing on the sidelines and critiquing those that are doing the work of God. Let's kind of consider how Nehemiah got to where he was. He was the king's cupbearer. As you remember that meant that he would taste the food before the king would eat it. He would drink whatever the king would drink. And, and this put him in close proximity to the king. So he was not only in a place of influence, he also was in a place of affluence. And he had a significant role there and he was living literally in the lap of luxury. But he was a Jewish man. And the Jews had been allowed to return uh, from Babylon to their homeland again, and many had, and they'd rebuilt the temple. But word came to Nehemiah that the walls were lying in rubble. They were charred. They were burned out. It was an embarrassment. And Nehemiah was led by the Lord to go rebuild the walls again. You know, in a way, we're all building something. Some of us are building a marriage. I just talked to a couple, Mary and Jake, who just got back from their honeymoon. So they're building their marriage. And I met some people after the first service who have been married many, many years. So they're continuing to build a marriage. But sometimes marriages break. Sometimes families break. Sometimes things that are built need to be rebuilt again. So we're building. We're trying to do what God wants us to do. We want strong marriages. We want strong families. We want a strong church. We want a strong spiritual life. But I have to warn you, the moment you start building is the moment you will also start battling. What does that mean? That means that Satan opposes what God loves. If God loves it, Satan hates it. Satan disapproves of what God approves. And so we need to press on because God is in the rebuilding business, but Satan is in the tearing down business. And if you are doing the work of God, you will face opposition. In fact, if you don't face opposition, you might ask yourself the question, am I really doing the work of God? A story is told of the great evangelist John Wesley who was riding his horse. He would go from town to town and preach the gospel. So he's riding along and it suddenly occurs to him that it has been three whole days since he has been persecuted in any way. He thought it's been three days since anyone threw an egg at me or threw a brick at me. And he began to wonder if something was wrong with him spiritually. So he stopped his horse. He climbed off. He dropped down to his knees and said, Lord, have I backslidden? Have I done something to offend you that I've not been persecuted? Well, there's some guy standing nearby, recognizes the preacher, has a particular disdain for Wesley. So this guy picks up a brick and throws it at the preacher. It barely misses Wesley's head. And Wesley's all excited and says, Thank you, Lord. I know I still have your presence. Okay, I love that story. I don't think we should all be praying that people will throw bricks at us. But I want you to know this. If you're doing God's work, the bricks are going to start flying. So let's see what happened now in Nehemiah chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. By the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Sanballat was very angry when he learned we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? 
Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by offering just a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked, well that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked over the top of it. We'll stop there. Here's point number one. I already said it in a way but let me say it more officially. When you build you will have to battle. When you build you will have to battle. Two names keep popping up in our narrative. Sanballat and Tobiah. These are the initial opponents of Nehemiah and God's people. They have gone from minor irritation to a full blown rage. My friend James Merritt says there is two kinds of people in this world. Some people are born again and some people are born against. <laughs> you know some people are just contrary people. Uh, you know who they are immediately. They have that look in their face. Nothing pleases them. Nothing meets their standards. And, and they actually like to go and make trouble in the lives of other people. Proverbs 4.16 says of these folks, evil people are restless unless they are making trouble. They can't even get a good night's sleep unless they have made life miserable for somebody. Wow. Some of you are married to these people, aren't you? Some of you work with these people. Many of us go to church with these people. And worst of all, some of you are these people. If you're one of these people, raise your hand. No, don't. You know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I doubt if one of these people that is hypercritical would even know that about themselves. These are the trash talkers and they're the wall breakers. Pastor Greg Laurie We'll have the second half of his message in just a moment. Whenever you reach out to us, whether through email, a letter, or even a text message, we read every word. Hi, Pastor Greg. I want to thank you for everything you do. If it wasn't for your messages, I honestly believe my husband and I would no longer be married. It's been difficult as my husband is in the military and we have a special needs child. One night when I was about to leave him, he begged me to stay and watch your marriage sermons on YouTube. And so I did. Now when we go to bed, we still watch your sermon videos, but we don't use them to fall asleep, of course. There's a lot I've obviously left out, but I hope one day we can talk in person. In March, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary because of God and you. Thank you and God bless. How encouraging that Pastor Greg's teachings in God's Word has helped to save this marriage. Do you have a story to share? If so, would you let us know? Tell us your story by calling 1-866-871-1144. Again, that's 866-871-1144. Well, today, Pastor Greg is helping us be prepared for the opposition we may face as we do our work for the Lord. It's a message called Dealing with Criticism, available at harvest.org. Number two, if you're doing God's work, you will be roundly criticized. If you're doing God's work, you'll be roundly criticized. Let me turn that around. If you're not roundly criticized, are you actually doing the work of God? I've come to look at it as a form of uh, confirmation that I'm on the right track. You know, criticism can be demoralizing. It can be painful. 
I mean, Nehemiah had just started building this wall when it comes, verse two. What do these poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? By the way, there's more than a hint of anti-Semitism in that statement, poor, feeble Jews. And so Nehemiah was gonna press on and do what God had called him to do. It's not fun to be ridiculed, is it? It's not enjoyable to be laughed at. I mean, look at the way Hollywood portrays Christians. Hollywood, that's so full of virtue, right? Hollywood, that's gonna set the moral standards for all of us to follow. Don't get me started. But they love to portray us as Christians as fools and buffoons and racists and misogynists and, and you know, fill in blank here. We're everything that is wrong with this world. And don't even start with the preachers. They're the worst of all. That's how Hollywood presents us. And that is a form of persecution. And here's what Jesus said about that in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted the prophets that were before you. By the way, in that statement that's found in the Beatitudes, by the way, um, Jesus used the word blessed twice as he talked about persecution. So the word blessed can also be translated happy. So in effect, the Lord is saying, Happy, happy are the persecuted. You say, why? Well, it's not such a happy thing when you are persecuted. Yeah, but understand, it's a confirmation you're a child of God. Just make sure you're persecuted for the right reason. Sometimes you're persecuted for being mean or harsh or some other thing. Make sure it's for righteousness sake. But critics, they'll always be there. Critics run in packs. Critics engage in groupthink. They feed off each other. You've heard the expression, birds of a feather flock together. So critical people find each other and they can just get together and be critical. Oh. The problem is they don't stay friends for long because after a while they turn on each other too, you see. They become cannibalistic. They're resentful of your success. They don't want you to do well because if you do well it may make them look bad. And it's interesting because in chapter two there were two critics, Sanballat and Tobiah. But here in chapter four we have a whole new slew of critics that have joined them. We have in verse seven Geshem, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. So this whole crew was mocking and criticizing the Israelites as they rebuilt the wall. And the people were getting a little bit overwhelmed. Now how do you deal with criticism? Well first of all, I always try to listen to it. I always feel I can learn uh, sometimes from my critics if they have my best interests in mind. It's, I think one of the first things you want to identify when someone is critiquing you is, is they, are they trying to help me or hurt me? See I have a group of people that I know and trust that I will talk to starting with critic numero uno, Catherine Laurie, my wife. Oh, trust me, I always know what she thinks, right? And I'll ask her, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? I have a wider group of friends and I'll run things by them, ideas by them, plans, visions, whatever. What do you think of this? And they will give me their honest opinion and I value their honest opinion and I listen to what they have to say. So that, that's one group of people. But then there are people that they don't want to help you. They just want to tear you down. You know, these are the people that hide behind a pseudonym online and uh, 
sent out their missives uh, from their laptop in their mother's basement and uh, don't even have the courage to say to your face what they say behind your back or even say online. I don't have a lot of respect for people like that. Or I love people that write anonymous letters. I'm gonna just tell you something. If you write me an anonymous letter, it's gonna go in this circular file. That's known as a trash can. Because if you don't have the courage to come up and talk to me, why would I want to read your anonymous letter and you sign it, concerned? Why don't you just sign it, cowardly? Because here's what I find about people. They'll, they'll make a whole case over something that they dreamed up in their brain, maybe has a little truth in it, and if they would have just talked to you, you could have said, actually, that's incorrect what you just said, and this is not happening, and the other thing is not happening. Oh, and it blows their whole narrative. So they love their little fictional narrative that they want to create and attack you, and that's just the kind of world we're living in right now. My friend Alan Redpath, who great British preacher who's gone on to heaven, but I remember he used to say to us, uh, if you want to be a preacher or a leader, you need the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the height of a rhinoceros. And there's some truth to that. You have to toughen up a little bit. But uh, this criticism was not from God at all. It was meant to destroy them. I came across an interesting quote from David Brinkley. Some of you may remember him from days gone by. He was a journalist on television. He made this statement. Quote, a successful man is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks that have been thrown at him. I like that. He lays a firm foundation with the bricks that have been thrown at him. Take away truth. Don't let the loudest voices in your life be your critics. Let the loudest voice in your life be God speaking to you. say, well, Greg, I don't, I don't like criticism. I don't want to hear criticism. Okay, there's a way to live a criticism-free life. There is a way where no one will ever critique you at all. You ready for it? You might want to write this down if you want to never be criticized at all. Say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. There it is. So if you're, some of you are going, sounds good to me. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. Doesn't sound good to me. You're going to say anything. If you're going to do anything, you will be critiqued for sure. So let's see how they handled it. Point number three, when you're under attack, take it to the Lord in prayer. When you're under attack, take it to the Lord in prayer. Nehemiah prayed about the criticism and he persisted in the rebuilding of the wall. What I love about Nehemiah is he never stopped building the wall, ever. Not even a coffee break. He just kept building and building. Look at Nehemiah 4, verse 4. Then I prayed, Hear us, O our God. We're being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Don't blot out their sins for they have provoked you to anger in front of the builders. And at last the wall was completed to half its height around the city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. So what do you do when you're critiqued? What do you do when you're attacked? You take it to the Lord in prayer. When the Israelites were griping and complaining about Moses, what did he do? He called on the Lord and he prayed about it. When there was a threatening letter sent to King Hezekiah, what did he do? He laid it out on the ground and brought it before the Lord. 
John the Baptist was beheaded. What did his disciples do? They went and told Jesus. So when trouble comes your way, call out to God. Because 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. They say, Lord, I can't handle this. This is too much for me to carry. I just place it in your hands. There's two things you can always pass on to Jesus. Are you ready for this? Two things you can always pass on to Jesus. Criticism, listen, and praise. Criticism and praise. Because one can deflate you, criticism. The other can inflate you, praise. And both are not helpful for you spiritually. So someone attacks you. Lord, I don't know what to do about that. I just present that to you. Someone praises you. Lord, you know I'm not that person. I give that to you. Because I want to continue to be used by you. If we give the Lord credit for anything good, we can also give to Him the control over the bad. But if you focus on your critics, you will not be doing what God has called you to do. If your eyes are on the opposition, then they're not on the Lord. Nehemiah could see that people were starting to be demoralized. He could see the fear on their face. You ever see someone when they're really afraid? He could see it. And he says to them in Nehemiah 4.14, I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said, don't be afraid of the enemy. Now underline this phrase. Remember the Lord. Underline that. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, daughters, wives, and your homes. See, he knew they needed to be encouraged. And so he says, guys, remember the Lord. You know, remember has been a word that's used throughout history as sort of a battle cry. Uh, when young men and women are taken into the Israeli army, uh, they go to Masada, which was originally built by King Herod as a sort of winter getaway. And uh, it was also a place where over a thousand Jews were killed by the Romans 2,000 years ago. And so it's something they use to inspire Israelis uh, as they're defending their country. And they take them up to Masada and they say, remember Masada. During the Mexican-American War, the battle cry was, remember the Alamo. During World War II, the battle cry was, remember Pearl Harbor. And we as believers need to remember the Lord. Remember, God's in control. What does it mean when we say remember the Lord? It means God has been faithful in your past and He will be faithful in your present and He'll be faithful also in your future. So remember Him. Pastor Greg Laurie with good reminders today to take it to the Lord when we're criticized and remember the Lord for all the times He's brought us through. Well, Pastor Greg, we're making available your new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, The Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. What is it that drives your interest in cultural icons, especially in the music industry? I've always been a fan of pop culture, always been interested in it. And you have to understand that God has called me to be an evangelist. An evangelist builds bridges to the culture he lives in or she lives in. 
Take Paul on Mars Hill, recorded in Acts 17. At that time, Athens was the cultural and intellectual center of the planet. It also was a city that had thousands of altars erected to various idols, various gods that they worshiped. So Paul went sightseeing and took in the sights and sounds of Athens. And the Bible says his spirit was disturbed. And so he got up in front of the people in the town square there, effectively the Areopagus, and began to speak to them. But it's interesting how he started. He said, men of Athens, I perceive that you are spiritual. One translation says religious. We might say today, I see you're into spirituality. Then Paul quoted their own poets to build a bridge to the message that was based on the gospel. So I take this concept and I use it in my preaching. I'll often start one of my evangelistic messages uh, that I would do at one of our events that we call Harvest Crusades. And I might start by quoting a movie star, quoting a rock star, quoting a billionaire, saying something that lines up with what the Bible tells us. As an example, I would quote actor Jim Carrey, who would say, I wish everyone could be rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would realize that's not the answer. Now, I'm not basing my message on what actors or rock stars say, but I use that to build a bridge to my listener, and then I tell them what the Bible says. Okay, so now shift gears over to this book I've written titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. So I'm exploring the lives of these people who have had it all, who've been there, done that, and bought the t-shirt, and in some cases have been the t-shirt, and I'm showing through their lives that the things this culture offers are not really going to meet the deepest needs of our life. Success isn't going to do it. A new record isn't going to do it. Global fame isn't going to do it. A bunch of cars or a mansion, that won't do it. A bunch of girls, uh, that won't do it. No, they need Jesus. And I tell the stories of those that found the answer they were looking for and became believers. People like Richie Fure, Carrie Livgren of Kansas, Alice Cooper, Dion DiMucci, Roger McGuinn of The Birds, and many others. And then I also tell the tragic stories of those that did not find the answer and how their lives ended, like Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Kurt Cobain and Amy Winehouse and Chester Bennington, and the list just goes on. So it's a book that shows what happens when you make the right and the wrong choices. But ultimately, it's a book that I think will offer hope and say to you, there is no one that you know that is beyond the reach of God. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And maybe you've been looking for some help in reaching out to someone who seems so far from God. Maybe the things of this world have captured their attention. Well, this can be such a great resource. Read it for yourself and then pass it along to someone who needs this message. Again, it's called Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. And we'll send it to say thank you for your investment in spreading the gospel through Harvest Ministries and A New Beginning. We're completely listener-supported, and we're so thankful for your partnership. So call us today at 1-800-821-3300. We're here to take your call around the clock. Again, that's 1-800-821-3300. Or just go online to harvest.org. Well, next time, more encouraging counsel from Pastor Greg about facing our opposition as we do our work for the Lord. Join us here on A New Beginning 
with pastor and Bible teacher, Greg Laurie. A New Beginning is a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. If this show has impacted your life, share your story, leave a review on your favorite podcast app, and help others find hope.